You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm The Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Today, as many listeners of this program are aware, is June 24th as the 33rd anniversary of the beginning of the alleged apparitions reported by six children in a small town in Medjugorje in Bosnia-Herzegovina. This place of miracles has drawn millions of pilgrims from all over the world, the curious, the miracle seekers, and others going to honor our Blessed Mother by praying at that location. There have been many, many claimed miracles, many claimed conversions, many healings, and many vocations emanating from this place. But what is really going on here? Some say it is the world's most extravagant hoax, Others claim that it is God working in our world. Today's program will be a great one. We'll be speaking with documentary filmmaker Sean Bloomfield, the creator of The Triumph. It's a film about Medjugorje. And in fact, he'll be calling in from Medjugorje. And later in the show, we will be talking with Artie Boyle, author of the book Six Months to Live, an incredible story of one man's journey to Medjugorje and an improbable recovery from cancer. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, June 24th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. This week in Miracle News, we have the report that the possible miracle needed for the beatification of Archbishop Fulton Sheen took another step towards papal recognition on June 17th, when a panel of theologians met at the Vatican. Um, That's what the Archbishop Fulton Sheen Foundation announced this week. Now, it's a normal part of the sainthood process, uh, theologians meeting to consider whether or not the promoters of Sheen's cause demonstrated the proposed miracle which was the survival of a child delivered stillborn, if it occurred after prayers for the intercession of Archbishop Sheen alone. Now, it's very important that they prayed to him alone. Um, In March, a seven-member board of physicians convoked by the Congregation for the Causes of the Saints agreed that there was no natural explanation for why the child's heart started beating over an hour after his birth. The child, James Fulton Engstrom, He's now three years old, and he's developing normally. His mother, Bonnie Angstrom, said that she had no precomposed prayer asking for help from Archbishop Sheen. She just kept repeating his name over and over in her head, Fulton Sheen, Fulton Sheen, said Mrs. Angstrom. Archbishop Sheen was a priest, of course, in the Diocese of Peoria, which covers central Illinois, and he gained fame in the 1950s for his television show, 
life is worth living, and for his 16 years at the helm of the Society of the Propagation of the Faith. He died on December 9, 1979, in New York. In a statement released on June 17th by the Archbishop Fulton Sheen Foundation, Bishop Daniel Jenke of Peoria said, quote, With the recommendations of the medical experts and now the theologians, the case will next be reviewed by the cardinals and bishops, end quote, who are members of the congregations of the causes of saints. Uh, finally, the miracle would be presented to Pope Francis, who will make an official statement that God performed a miracle through the intercession of Fulton Sheen, and of course, there's no timeline as to when these next steps may occur. But if Pope Francis formally issues the decree recognizing the miracle, Sheen would then be declared blessed in a ceremony that could be celebrated in Peoria, Sheen's hometown. Another miracle would, of course, be needed for Sheen's canonization. And that's today's Miracle News. To keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. Now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary, the same image we've given away in past weeks, and it's a photo mosaic of over 100 images um, of Our Lady that forms a large picture of the Madonna and Child. For more information on Catholic Pub Trivia organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. We always try to keep the trivia question in line with the theme of the day's show, and today we're talking about Medjugorje. So here is the question. What famous actor whose last name of his stage name is inspired by a U.S. bishop who starred in the Medjugorje movie Gospa in 1995. So I'll read that one again. What famous actor whose last name of his stage name is inspired by U.S. Bishop starred in the Medjugorje movie Gospa in the year 1995? And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize events in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. And now we will reach into the mailbag or the email inbox, as it were, for the question of the day. question goes like this, Dear Miracle Hunter, maybe you can settle a debate for me. I keep telling my friends that the Church cannot officially rule on the authenticity of the apparitions at Medjugorje until everything has ended. Is this true? God bless, Teresa. Well, thank you, Teresa, for your excellent question, and it's a little bit of a tricky one, and I would suggest that you are mostly correct on this, but there is no hard and fast rule, nothing in canon law, that requires this. Of course, when it comes to a negative judgment, the Church can issue a statement as quickly as necessary to protect the faithful from a hoax, or worse, and to help them return to their practice of faith as centered in Christ. 
but regarding the approval of the authenticity of alleged phenomena, the fact is that it is up to the prudential judgment of the local bishop who has the authority to proclaim on a given apparition or other miracle as to when to decide when it makes the most pastoral sense to make an announcement. In almost all cases, the bishop waits until the phenomena has ended and the dust has settled. Now, in the recent approval of Our Lady of Good Help, uh, the apparitions in Champion, Wisconsin, in 1859, it wasn't until the year 2010 that the local bishop gave his approval. Of course, that was long after the visionary had died. And in a couple of rare cases, including the Church-approved apparitions at Batania, Venezuela, Cabejo, Rwanda, and Itaparanga, Brazil, which is still going on, the local bishop approved them while the phenomena was still occurring. Other bishops have allowed sanctuaries to be built, uh, which would be another level of approval, sort of a lower level, uh, even when the apparitions are going on. So it's all up to the local bishop. But in the case of Medjugorje, since it is a phenomenon with a worldwide following and impact, I would assume that the Church will wait until all apparition reports have ceased before it makes a definitive final statement. So thank you, Teresa, for your excellent question. And if you have a question for the Miracle Hunter, please visit questions at miraclehunter.com, and we will select one question each week to be read on the air. Now it's time for 365 Days with Mary. Each week we'll be doing this, this segment by this name, and for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there's a Marian title, feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. Each entry on the website features images, a description and history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for those wishing to see those places. The project is available in the form of a daily engagement calendar, daily planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook, where if you follow us and like us, you can automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about how our Blessed Mother is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and visit the website 365dayswithmary.com to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. On today's program, we are covering the story of Our Lady of Medjugorje, a phenomenon which started on today's date, June 24th, 33 years ago. And we'll be getting into that in some detail later on with our interviews. So today we'll talk about a different devotion for June 24th for our segment, 365 Days with Mary. Today's devotion is Madonna de la Navicella, which is Our Lady of the Ship, from Chioggia, Italy. And historical records of the town of Chioggia recount a very gloomy afternoon on June 24th in 1508, when a violent storm broke out, and the sky was covered with dense low clouds, thunder, blinding flashes, a deluge of rain, and a terrifying roar of the sea in the storm. Panic spread everywhere throughout the town. The townspeople prayed in their homes and prayed desperately for the fishermen who were caught at sea by the storm. Only towards the evening did the storm subside, and an old guard of the lighthouse, uh, Carlo Baldessera Zalone, he came out from his lookout, dejectedly looking at all the damage produced by the terrible storm. And suddenly he heard a voice from the shore calling him. He turned and saw a majestic lady, and she was dressed in a black robe and sat on a trunk of a tree, 
that had been pushed onto the beach by the waves. The lady, who turned out to be the mother of God, uh, said that she was deeply saddened by the dissolute life led by the people of Chiojia, in particular for desecrations on Sundays, the sins of blasphemy, and the practice of blatant immorality. Um, the hurricane with its ruins was a warning of a worse cataclysm, she said, if the city did not convert and do penance. And then she asked him to tell the bishop of this apparition, and in her name, call for a crusade of prayer, penance, and exhortations to avert the serious evils that oppress the Christian life. On the site quickly was built a small wooden chapel, and later a church that was consecrated in the year 1585. The Capuchin Franciscans have been the custodians of the shrine there, Our Lady of the Ship, starting from October 17th in 1957. And that was today's feast, Our Lady of the Ship. Be sure to visit the Project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about this devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. And this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. We'll be talking today with, uh, with Director Sean Bloomfield, who is calling in from Medjugorje to talk about his film, The Triumph. We welcome to the show today, Sean Bloomfield. Yeah, hi. How are you? Great to be here. Welcome, Sean. We're happy to have you on the show. And is, is that right that you're calling today from Medjugorje? I am. Yeah, I am. It's uh, it's after 11 p.m. here, and, and we just got down off uh, Apparition Hill, where Yvonne had a, uh, an apparition tonight. And Wonderful. Well, thank you. People. Thank you for making the sacrifice, calling in late. Uh, we appreciate it, and we're excited sure. to have you on the show today on the anniversary of the first apparitions at Medjugorje. And um, I, I assume most of the listeners are familiar with the story of Our Lady of Medjugorje, but can you just paint in uh, very simple strokes what what is what is Medjugorje all about? What's the background to the story? Sure. Yeah, well, 33 years ago today, uh, June 24th, six children saw uh, Our Lady on on the hill. What they saw they what they saw was a a woman with a uh, a child in her arms. But that first day, they were too afraid to talk to her, so they ran away. But they had this strong calling, you know, the next day to come back. And the next day, June 25th, is the day that they actually spoke to her. She beckoned them, and they ran up the hill. And uh, that was the first apparition, and they all spoke to her. And, you know, ever since then, every day, she has appeared. And, you know... To a lot of people in the world, that sounds very far-fetched, and, and I can understand that because I, I, too, was very, very skeptical when I first came here. It was uh, the year 2000, but there is really something here, uh, in, in my opinion, that that can change hearts, uh, especially even the, the hardest hearts who, who come here, even if they just have a slightly open mind to what what possibly is going on. Um, and what, ins- what inspired is- you, Sean, to first go there in the year 2000? What what made you take that trip? Well, it was it was actually my mom. She had come here and had a big conversion herself. And up until that point, she hadn't been a practicing Catholic. And I was baptized Catholic, but really had barely set foot in the church in, in all those years, hadn't even received First Communion. So I was 20 years old at the time and uh, 
studying filmmaking in school and also creative writing. And my mom called me and asked if, uh, you know, I wanted to go to Croatia. So I looked it up, I, you know, about Croatia, and it looked like beautiful beaches. And uh, I said, sure, you know, let's go. So I remember getting off the plane, and we get on a bus with all these people that started praying the rosary, and I was pretty terrified at first. And, you know, everybody was very excited about going to Mass when we first got here. But, you know, little by little, I I, I, I was very skeptical at first, but within a few days, so many things had happened to me, especially, you know, the internal feeling of, of wanting to uh, change my heart. It really made me have a whole different, uh, a whole transform, transformation. Um, and I started uh, to learn more about the faith and about uh, being Catholic and what it really meant to be Catholic. And, you know, I, I eventually followed that road. Um, it, it definitely hit me pretty hard and pretty quickly. And the neat thing is I've seen so many other people have similar experiences. And that's one thing, you know, with the film that you mentioned, The Triumph, uh, it was always the idea to try to find somebody who uh, is in that situation where they don't really believe when they first come here. And incidentally, the main person in there, Ben, his mom had also brought him here. So I guess uh, there's there's nothing more powerful than the prayer of a mother. I think uh, a lot of people <laughs> would agree that's, with that's that. That's a great way to, to put that. And there's been uh, 33 years, like you mentioned, of phenomena going on. And throughout those years, we there's been 30 million or more uh, pilgrims who have gone, uh, made the trip to Medjugorje. And there are many stories where people have claimed uh, healings and miracles and many vocations to the priesthood and things of this nature. Uh, people, people have attributed them to Medjugorje. And, of course, uh, this all sounds wonderful um, and too good to be true. Um, there's been controversy that's surrounded uh, Medjugorje, and, of course, controversy is something great in trying to get a film out and will inspire people to come check out your film. But what can you tell us? Why, why is Medjugorje controversial if, in fact, all these wonderful things are happening there? I, I, well, I'm sure you know from, from the research you've done, I think almost all of the apparitions throughout history have been controversial. But, you know, Medjugorje is it's either the biggest and most important supernatural event in probably since Jesus was around, or it's the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. I mean, it's either right. got to be two of those things. Millions of people have either been duped or they've experienced a miracle. I'm personally convinced 100% after being here and, and, you know, getting to know the people around here um, and seeing the visionaries in their daily life that Medjugorje is real. And it's it, to me, it, it is the most important supernatural event um, happening in our lifetime. And I think it's the culmination of all these apparitions throughout history. So, uh, really, if you look at it, you know, uh, our faith teaches us that that the devil does exist, and, you know, he's going to attack something like this pretty hard. And the unfortunate thing I, I see with any controversy that comes out is, generally, from what I see, it, it's often like a telephone game or uh, rumors mm-hmm. that get blown up, you know, and, and, and there's not really any, you know, concrete concrete uh, basis for, for a lot of the things that you hear. I think the only thing that I would say to anybody who, who is skeptical, I totally understand why you would be skeptical, because it does sound totally crazy, you know? And, <laughs> and I'm 
I'm a very normal uh, and always skeptical person, and I I take science very seriously. And um, you know, that's one thing that that I love about Medjugorje is that it has been. Uh, investigated by science more than any other apparition in history. And you know, I've talked to quite a few of the scientists, and, and including psychologists who, who appeared in the film, uh, Dr. Pandala Karam, who is a brilliant, a brilliant person. And, you know, he came here as a skeptic, as one of the scientists to study the visionaries. But now he comes here on pilgrimage at least once, maybe twice a year with his family wow. because he was convinced so, so much of... Uh, the reality of this, and uh, like you say, in watching in watching the film, it's clear that a ton of research uh, went into it, and you uh, you have interviews with an incredible number of people and and people who uh, from the scientific community, the religious community, and otherwise who who uh, give their perspective on Medjugorje. When I went when I went into the film, I was expecting a documentary, uh, sort of detailing the history of the apparitions. And you presented a different angle, uh, which was a personal experience of somebody at Medjugorje. Can you talk a little bit about how you framed the film and what what was your motivation in in, in approaching it this way? Yeah, I think you know from the beginning we had uh, looked at making a film about the triumph. You know that was kind of the idea, and you know a lot of people are very interested in the secrets of Medjugorje. You know the prophetic aspect of it which is, you know, a very fascinating part to it, but it's not the most important part. I think the most important part is happening right now, and that's the conversions that are happening. And, uh, you know, uh, having spent a lot of time here uh, in, in Medjugorje, I've seen so many people that come here with a very, very hard heart with uh, drug problems or, you know, marital problems or illnesses. And, Within a course of a pilgrimage, which is generally seven days, they become totally new people. And it's, uh, to me, I mean, you can't really explain it other than through the grace of God, because it is a miracle. Um, so with that in mind, um, you know, we we were looking at the idea of um, finding somebody like this. And, and my wife and my kids were at St. James Church, and, and this guy came up and started playing with my kids, and, and my wife talked to him and found out that his name was Ben. He's from Ohio, and his, uh, it turned out he was staying at the same hotel where we have a little apartment here, and he was staying in the same place. And it turned out he was very skeptical about being there, and he didn't really want to be there. So my, um, my wife, you know, talked to him a little bit, and then we interviewed him, and you know, that, I think that first interview is priceless because he does talk about all his doubts. And then throughout the course of, of the time he was here, you know, we were able to get him uh, to an apparition and uh, kind of just followed him around with the camera. And what happened, I mean, it is, it's a miracle, but it's also, I, I think, typical of what happens to a lot of people here. In a lot yeah, of I, was, of I was really... Uh... I was really taken aback by by that. I thought it was a, a quite a nice presentation of his transformation, uh, going uh, going from skeptic to believer, and his personal transformation in his life with the things that he was struggling with. So I think you captured that effectively in the film. So so that was that was great. What what were some of the challenges in making the film, and, and what you wanted to present to the audience, and uh, what you wanted to make sure came across? Sure. I you know I'd say that there's a couple. That one challenge is this 
I definitely wanted to not preach to the choir, you know, and that, that's uh, something that that I think is very important for for anybody who does Catholic or, or religious type media work is to not really preach to the choir. I mean, there's definitely a place for that, but but really try to go out like Jesus did and and how the apostles did, and and really try to find the people that need to hear the message the most. And, you know, this message from Medjugorje is really powerful, you know, for the people that are on the edge of society that that have a lot of problems in their life. So, you know, one challenge was, I think, presenting it like that without turning off, uh, you know, our, our supporters, which would be the uh, the people who believe in, in apparitions and things like that. Right. I think it, it strikes a good balance, you know, um, in that in that case. So, you know, the the other thing I think uh, as a challenge was <laughs> trusting, trusting in God, because you see, you know, what happens in the film. I, I don't want to give too much away for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it really became, um, it, it became something that I felt like was, scripted by a higher power, you know, things were happening in Ben's life and throughout the making of the film that I think were meant to happen. And I think, I think Ben was meant to be, you know, playing this role in a way, even though, you know, it's, it's basically just a camera following him and capturing what happens, uh, you know, with him. And then of course, you know, the other part of it does go into the history of Medjugorje uh, and, you know the the interviews and and the uh, everything about the the secrets. You know the prophetic aspect of it, which that's an important part of it. But again, Medjugorje is a personal experience for everybody who comes here. And and to me, uh, another thing that the great thing about making the film is, I think we realize that the triumph that Our Lady has talked about isn't some big cataclysmic thing in the sky that that everybody's gonna you know all of a sudden see her triumph it's it's the triumph is happening it happens in in each individual person if they make a choice um a choice you know to go to to live for god and um you know she she triumphs in each of us when we when we say yes to god that's right for those just joining the program you're listening to the miracle hunter radio show we're talking today with film director sean bloomfield uh, Sean, uh, great, great background in the film, and tell us a little bit. The film came out last year. What, how have you distributed the film, and what's been the response uh, in getting it out there? Yeah, the neat thing is, you know, it, it's uh, definitely a grassroots movement w- with the screenings. It, the screenings were very successful, and it was really, you know, we started with a few. There were a few people, like uh, one person who's who's here in Medjugorje tonight, Guy Murphy. He um, he, he has a, a great Marian, totally yours pilgrimages, but but they put on the conference as well. So he he showed it in a few places, and other people, you know, throughout the throughout the country, throughout the U.S. And then it just kind of you know people who went and saw it were so moved by it that they wanted to do screenings, and pretty soon it was showing all over the United States to the point that we couldn't even keep up with all the people that wanted to host a screening of it. And and the really cool thing about it was that there were these screenings, you know, I, I went to quite a few of them to present the film, and um, there's so many of them, pretty much all of them were sold out and sometimes turning people away, whereas uh, films that were coming out at the same time, I, I believe Batman was, was then, um, Batman had like 
15 people in it at one point. <laughs> and, you know, the triumph of this film about Our Lady of Medjugorje was filling theaters. Wow. So, you know, it was a very successful run, and uh, it definitely shows that something with Medjugorje resonates with people. And, um, you know, as of March 18th, the film's out on DVD, so there are still screenings going on, but those have kind of tapered off, and more so now people are doing parish screenings and, and home screenings where they, uh, you know, invite a lot of people over, and other people are buying DVDs in bulk to give away to people because, you know, we have that on our website. Uh, it big discounts for people to buy a bunch because we had so many requests for people they would want to buy a whole box of them and, and give them, you know, as a way of evangelizing. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, it's it's been been a very amazing experience to to see how far it's gone and yep. uh, and i th- i yep. think your your timing couldn't have been more impeccable because uh obviously as you know the church is still investigating these apparitions and and trying mm-hmm. to uh give some guidance to the faithful on on how to navigate them and can you give us a little bit of a, a sort of an update on the status of Medjugorje as far as where is the commission at, and when would we expect to hear uh, a decision from, from the Vatican on the approval of these apparitions? Sure. Well, last time I talked to Pope Francis... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I, I think here there's a, a, a very big sense that the Church is going to say something, you know, at least give some kind of guidance, um, something positive, but maybe not a full approval yet, because they are still going on. And I'm sure that's something, you know, you, you've talked a lot about with your listeners, about the need to in, investigate something um, as it's still continuing. You know, with Medjugorje, it's obviously, in, it's always changing and always developing. And um, I, I believe, from what I understand, that's kind of what the Church is looking at. Now, I do, I, I did hear from a lot of people that that say, you know, people on the commission were very positive about what they saw here, and and they they use terms like many good spiritual fruits and uh, no signs of hoax. But you know, I, all all we can really get now are those are those uh, small tidbits of information, you know, from maybe one or two people uh, on the commission. But I can tell you here in Medjugorje, there's there's not even a care about it. There's not even really a worry. Because everybody here feels that you know the church is going to do what's right, and I, I think they feel that the church will do what the Holy Spirit leads them to do in terms of uh, in terms of Medjugorje. So, you know, it's it, it's still uh, definitely interesting to me, and I, I do follow it. But at the same time, I'm not too worried about it because I, I know that that dossier that the commission did hand over to Pope Francis is in very good hands. And I, and I feel like he's a, the perfect person really to, to give it a good look and, uh, you know, maybe come out with saying something. A lot of people expected it. Then, you know, the Vatican to say something a while ago, but they haven't. And I, I think that's telling, I think they're kind of just taking their time and letting it develop on its own. Sure. That, that only makes sense. And, uh, your, your film is uh, informative for people who want to learn more about Medjugorje and for the experiences that some people have, just like Ben, the star of the film. And tell tell us uh, very quickly, where can people actually get the film and where can they watch it? 
Sure. Yeah. It's a, uh, the triumph.org is, is the website. So they can go onto the triumph.org and we have a store there with, uh, you know, with the film and with a few other related items and people can, you know, just buy one DVD or they can buy, buy them in bulk. Um, we also have screening options on the website and, there is a list of the latest screenings and, and the places that it's screened before. And also, you know, the testimonials from people. We've tried to record the ones that we can, but, um, you know, there are so many. And the other the other place to find this is on Facebook. We, we have a, a Facebook page, and um, just search, you know, go to Facebook and search for The Triumph, and, and they'll find it. But, um, you know, definitely if, uh, send us a message through there, and, and we'd, we'd love to hear from your listeners and, and hope they can use the film to you know, learn more about Medjugorje, and if they're so inspired, to help others learn more about it as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sean, all the way from Medjugorje. We appreciate you making the time and, and giving us some background on your project. So God bless you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure, my honor, and I, I definitely appreciate you uh, having me on the show. So thank you. Thanks so much. For those just joining the program, uh, you're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We were just talking with film director Sean Bloomfield. And today, of course, uh, June 24th, we're talking about Medjugorje, the alleged apparitions that have been reported by six children, now adults, in the small town of Medjugorje in Bosnia-Herzegovina in 1981. And they've continued on all the way to this present day. As many listeners of this program are surely aware, these apparitions are currently under the investigation of the Church. And the most, most recent Church statement came in 1991. That was the Zadar Declaration from the Bishops' Conference of Yugoslavia, in which the Commission declared that the alleged apparitions could not be established as supernatural. It is important to note that this statement doesn't condemn the apparitions, but left open the possibility for further investigation. In the year 2010, a new commission was established by the Vatican to review these apparitions, and while the commission has ended, we await the results of the commission, hopefully to be announced by the CBF or the Pope later this year. We have no guarantee, of course, that such a statement will be forthcoming, however. So it's important to note that in uh, October of last year, the papal nuncio to the U.S. on behalf of the prefect of the CDF, Archbishop Gerhard Mueller, has issued instructions that no cleric or faithful may participate in any meetings, conferences, or public celebrations in which the authenticity of the apparitions are taken for granted. Uh, in following those instructions, it's important to mention that this program, or Radio Maria, in covering the topic of Medjugorje, does not take the authenticity of these alleged apparitions for granted. Next up on the show, uh, we are interviewing author Artie Boyle, and he's the author of Six Months to Live, Three Guys on the Ultimate Quest for a Miracle. Now, this is a new book that just came out. It talks about one man's incredible journey and recovery um, from cancer. And we welcome to the show today, Artie Boyle. Hi, thank you, Michael. Thanks for, for joining us today. And I uh, recently finished reading your book, and uh Really, a great testimonial about your experience, and quite a page turner torn told from the every man's point of view. I really, really enjoyed hearing the background of your life. Um, tell us a little bit, a uh, little bit of a background on you, and 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 how you started writing this book. Well, uh, first off, I'm married to my wife Judy, forty years last year, 
We have 13 children, 16 grandchildren. We live in the Boston area in Massachusetts. And uh, 15 years ago, I got sick and uh, went through a lot of stuff, which we can talk about a little bit later on. But uh, ultimately ended up going to Medjugorje and was healed and had been, I made a promise to the Blessed Mother when I was healed that I would always give witness to the healing power of Jesus Christ, her son. So I went traveling around the world with uh, one of the visionaries, Ivan Dragicevich. Him and I became good friends. We traveled around, and I gave my witness. And at every single venue, someone would ask me, well, do you have a book? And my answer was always no. So yeah. we decided, uh, finally, after searching out different people, different authors or ghostwriters, that we should write a book. And uh, a good friend of ours, Eileen Boylan, said that she would be willing to do it. And sure enough, uh, her and I spent a bit of time together. She did a lot of interviews, uh, used the journals of Rob Griffin, Kevin Gill, and myself on our trip to Medjugorje to really write quite a lot of the book, at least the part where we were in Medjugorje. And it, uh, it just came out recently. And I'm happy to say I think it's doing pretty well. Everybody that's read the book said they've read it very quickly. It's an easy read. Uh, and it gives them a lot of inspiration and hope, and that's exactly what we were hoping for when we wrote the book. Absolutely. I, I think it's very successful from that point of view. It's uh, you, you really give a nice background on your life, and, and I feel like I know you a little bit just from reading the book, and uh, there's obviously a, the full gamut of emotions. You talk about sort of uh, when you were young and got married and having your children, and uh, and, and you talk about all, all the things that go into struggling with a, an incredible disease like the cancer that you struggled with. Let's talk a little bit about the initial diagnosis that you received and how that affected you and what, what you thought you were going to do next. Well, I was always a very active, outgoing person. Uh, a lot of kids played sports in college. Uh, and you know, I went down to my daughter's wedding down in uh, Disney World in August of 1999. And... Uh, was feeling very poorly and came back and I couldn't play four holes of golf without having to stop. So we went and had a bunch of tests done and it was discovered that I had, uh, well, I had lost 45 pounds. I had a terrible look and it was discovered I had renal cell carcinoma. Now, when the doctor told me that, he said, you have renal cell carcinoma, cancer of the kidney. It was probably the most intense statement I'd ever heard in my life. And immediately yeah. you start thinking things like, you know, how much longer do I have to live? Who's going to take care of my kids? all this crazy stuff that goes through your head. And it, and it it really, it shook us right to the very bone. The whole family, the extended family, the people around us, like how could this guy with 13 kids all of a sudden be given such a terrible prognosis? And it wasn't very pleasant to me. They they had said, well, it's in the pancreas, it's in the kidney, it's, it's everywhere, we're going to have to go in there, take it out, there'll be a pancreatic surgeon there. And he was painting a pretty bleak picture. So, Did he tell you what your chances were of survival were at that point? It, well, uh, well, actually, at that point, no. But I went for the surgery. Uh, the surgery seemed to be successful. Uh, he said, uh, called me back within three weeks with the pathology report, excitedly screaming into my telephone, saying they got all the cancer. Wow. I didn't were clear. Uh, however, you keep going back for tests when you have cancer, especially that severe. Yeah. And it was discovered eight months later that it spread into my right lung and I had three tumors in my lung. Now, metastatic wow. renal cell carcinoma has no known cure. There's no chemo or radiation or anything like that. 
So they said, we have to take your lung out and your chances of survival are less than 5%. So it was wow. pretty bleak. And that's when that's when we decided to go to Medjugorje. Yeah, it's not, in the book, it sounded like you had the first bout with cancer and you were you were praying and you were very intensely hoping for a cure and you got it. And then, like you said, eight months later, that horrible news that it had come back. Um, so what what made you turn to Medjugorje, of all places? Uh, did you even know of it at the time, or how, how did you go there? Well, I didn't. We, we uh, The bad news came in uh, that I had it had spread, and, and it metastasized. It could be anywhere in my body, but it was definitely in my lungs in the form of three tumors. And uh, my brother-in-law, Kevin Gill, who's my best friend, uh, happened to play golf a couple of days after that diagnosis with another friend, Rob Griffin. They had never played golf together before. This is all in the book, by the way. Yep. But uh, So Robbie asked Kevin about what was going on with me. He told, me the bad, told uh, Robbie the bad news, and Robbie asked him, have you ever heard of Medjugorje? And Robbie had tried to get his dad there. Uh, had a connection with Sister Margaret Sims of the Marion community in the Boston area, and uh, tried to get his dad there, but his dad was too sick, couldn't go, and eventually passed away. So Robbie had mentioned it to Kevin, and Kevin called me up and said, have you ever heard of Medjugorje? And my daughter had given my wife a book on the messages to Medjugorje 10 years earlier, and she would mm. try and read me these messages while I'm trying to watch the sports on TV, <laughs> something like that, and I was so distracted, I never really understood what it was. So Kevin said, hey, do you want to go? And uh, what had happened was uh, Sister Margaret was also connected with uh, Maria Esperanza, who's a Catholic-approved mystic, uh, and from Venezuela, and we were going to go visit with her and have her pray over me. Uh, and then Medjugorje came up, and Maria Esperanza said to Sister Margaret, no, tell him to go to Medjugorje. He needs to go to Medjugorje. I'll keep him in prayer for 72 hours. So Kevin and Robbie and I, a week later, jumped on a plane and flew to a little village in Bosnia-Herzegovina that we just heard of for the first time. Amazing. It was really a, just a leap of faith to go to a place out of desperation to see if, if, we could, if I could be healed. Yeah, and it, just just from uh, reading the book, it sounded like you're three regular guys who just decided to give this a shot. Uh, sounded like you didn't know too much about it going in, and it was sort of the the budding friendship between the three of you that that got you there, and and you just had an open heart to see see what could happen. Uh, so, what happened when you showed up? What what was well, your first no move? question? It was a budding friendship, and we did go out of desperation, and and many things happened. The you know, it's funny. You learn a lot of stuff after the fact, too. And I learned after the fact that, that faith defined as the confident assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things yet unseen. And as mm. soon as I stepped on the plane to go to Medjugorje, I kept a journal and I wrote in the journal, I'm going to Medjugorje to see the Blessed Mother and to be healed. And although I may not actually see her, I know I'll be touched by her in some way. And I had written the confident assurance of things hoped for in that journal and I would later get the evidence of things yet unseen. And when we went to Medjugorje, the best way I could describe it, when I first landed, it just seemed like a supernatural peace about the place. And as we went through the week, and the different things happened to us, especially after we went to confession, the peace started to envelop us. And as the peace more and more of it enveloped me, and I became less and less stressed, and I was able to go to adoration and just be in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you know, a lot of things started happening to my body because of the peace that I was getting from there and also mm. for the fact that I had to get rid of all my junk through confession. Sure. And I think 
once I did all that stuff, my body, through Jesus Christ, started to heal itself. Absolutely. And it sounded like confession was such a, a central element of your trip, your pilgrimage. Uh sounded like you went a couple times, two, three times to confession while you were there, and uh, you really learned a lot about yourself and really felt free of sin. That was that was, that was inspiring to, to read that to read that part of it. Um, we actually did go twice. We went the first time, and the reason we went the second time was Kevin figured he forgot a few things the first time and decided <laughs> to go back again, which we probably did too. But you know that's supposed to be okay. We had none of us had been to confession in over fifteen years. That's the sad part. And then he went back a second time and came bursting in through the door, saying, "You got to go back to confession." There's a phenomenal priest there named Father Simon Kedwallader from Liverpool, England, and he's only going to be there for five more minutes. So the three of us go sprinting down Main Street, Medjugorje, to go back to a place we hadn't been to in 15 years. And when I went into that confessional, he was such a beautiful priest. He said so many things to me, but the most important thing was that the Eucharist is the most powerful medicine we have on earth, to take Jesus into here as often as possible and ask him to heal you. And I had been filled with anxiety, filled with depression, when I walked into Medjugorje and into that confessional. And when I came out, it was gone. And I realized instantly that I went to Medjugorje, not for a physical healing, but for a spiritual healing, and that you cannot be physically healed until you are spiritually healed. It all came together for me after that confession, and then things really started to ramp up for us. Rosary beads turned gold, the sun spinning and dancing, all that stuff, was, which is just for the person over there, basically. But it was all happening to us, and we were like pretty excited. And you mentioned in your book you you had the sense or even the physical feeling that something was happening in your body. Talk talk about that a little bit. How did you? What did you think was going on? Uh, were you being healed or whatever? Well, there, there was several things that happened after confession. There was a sense of peace, so that that started to take over. Then there was a whole sense of excitement because of all the things that were happening around us that were not typical things. The rosary beads turning gold, the sun spinning and dancing. It's almost like fat where it came to the ground. But most importantly, we climbed Mount Krishovitz, the three of us. And on the way up, it really felt like the cancer was bothering me. I could put a, my finger on a point in my lung that was very painful. And I thought, man, this is getting worse. Uh, and conversely, it was probably getting better. And we got to the top of the mountain, and it was just the three of us. Nobody else was at the top across the mountain because it was a rainy day. They told us not to go, but being the stubborn, stupid guys that we are, we went anyway. And we got to the top of that mountain, and the three of us were really kind of shouting out loud to Jesus to heal me. We were embracing. We were weeping. And something happened at the top of that mountain that we can't explain. And when I came down from the mountain, I called my wife, and I said, listen, I can't explain what's going on over here, but four days after I land, they're going to cut out my right lung. Please call the doctor and get another CT scan before they do that. She called the doctor, and the doctor's secretary called me back and said, Mr. Boyle, we know you're Medjugorje. We know why you're there. That's a beautiful thing. But the fact is you have cancer. It's not going to disappear, so we're going to go ahead with the surgery. So my wife did what any good wife would do. She got another doctor, and we were able to get the CT scan. <laughs> Wonderful. And what's funny was this doctor had sent his parents to Medjugorje and had a picture of Medjugorje hanging on his office wall. Uh-huh. Okay. So it was all sort of meant to be. Yeah, I, I think my, my favorite part of the entire book was you and your two buddies at the top of, of the mountain there uh, just praying and, and shouting, and that experience that you had together in faith, I thought that, that was uh, that was a beautiful part of the book. 
definitely definitely moving. Yeah. Beautiful part yeah. of the trip. It's not something we certainly would ever do here in the States. <laughs> right. We just wouldn't. You know, we're guys, we play hockey, we drink beer, we play golf. We, we're just like everybody else. We're no different. And this this trip just overwhelmed us and, and changed all of our lives and our family's lives forever. And uh, and when when you went home, uh, you, you lined up the second CT scan, or your wife did for you with the, right. the doctor, and what happened next? What did you What did you hear? Well, it's funny that the second scan was done. Um, it wasn't really a second scan; it was like third, fourth, or fifth, whatever it was. But it was it was a scan prior to the surgery, and it was done by the same two radiologists or technicians that had done every one of my other scans. Wow! And each time I went in there, when there was a problem, they would always say to me, uh, "You're not breathing right. We need to take more pictures." It was a uh-huh. nice way of saying there's something there. And this time, when they said I wasn't breathing right. I got a real sense they couldn't find what they were looking for. Mm. And I was so excited when flying back to Mass General up to the thoracic surgeon's office to present him with the films. And when he finally took a look at the films, uh, he told me to wait a minute. And when he finally called me into his office, instead of being behind his big desk where they usually are when they give you the bad news, yep. he's standing in the threshold rubbing his fingers to his chin going, they're gone. I, yeah. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to tell you. And the, the thoracic surgeon, urologist, and oncologist all got together. And on September 14th, instead of, having, instead of having my right lung cut out, I was playing golf with Robbie and Kevin. So <laughs> it's I a much believe, better thing to be doing, sure. Oh my God! Yeah. It, it was. It was just. Uh, I was joy filled, and I tell you, nothing matters as much anymore as it used to. You know. The, yeah. How the, how has this experience changed your faith or, or your life? Uh, it's dramatically. Uh, you know, first of all, when I go to Mass now, it's a, it's a very different experience and feeling than when I used to go. I used to go to Mass out of obligation. and I was a convenient Catholic, you might say. Even though we did pre-cana, CCD, all that stuff, it, Mass was never the same. Now the readings are more important. Receiving the Eucharist is, is it really is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I believe all that stuff. Confession is very important to me and my family. We go, We try to go once a month. We pray the rosary. We started a rosary group. And we pray every Thursday night with people in the community at St. Paul's Church in Hingham. And things like that. And just and every time I get to go talk about the experience, it brings me back to when it first happened. So it, it brings me back that joy and, and that knowledge to know that God really exists. And so it's, uh, it's changed all of our lives. And many people have converted. We've had many friends actually uh, pray the rosary with us, even the Jewish ones, which is pretty cool. And... Uh, you know, it's had a dramatic effect on on all of our lives. Absolutely, and your your book is inspiring. I thank you for writing it. I really enjoyed reading it. How can people get your book? What's the best way for people to pick up your book and read it? Well, they can get it on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, locally in Hingham. They're selling it at Glastonbury Abbey and a place called Twist and Cohasset. Uh, Crossroads dot com is the publishing company. They can go directly through them. You know, hopefully uh, it does it does its work, the book, and gives people hope, and it spreads around uh, so that people can, you know, a lot of times faith is, is received by hearing, too. It's, it's a great gift that's given by God, but hearing about it doesn't hurt. So that's one way to hear about the faith, is to read that book. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Artie, for joining us on the show today. We re- really appreciate your testimony, and God bless you on you spreading the message. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that was Artie Boyle, author of the book Six Months to Live, Three Guys on the Ultimate Quest for a Miracle. 
And that was an incredible story of a miracle achieved through faith and a visit to Medjugorje. And of course, today we talked about Medjugorje, the apparitions reported by six children, now adults, in the small town of Medjugorje in Bosnia-Herzegovina in the year 1981. They continue to this present day. As many listeners of this program are surely aware, these apparitions are currently under the investigation of the Church. Uh, The most recent Church statement in 1991 declared that nothing supernatural could be found there, but it's important to note that this statement doesn't condemn them, but it leaves open the possibility for further investigation. In the year 2010, a new commission was established by the Vatican to review these apparitions, and while the commission has not ended, or while it has ended, we await the results of the commission, hopefully to be announced by the Pope or the CDF later this year. We do not know for sure that 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 statement will come out. Um, It's important to note that in November of last year, the Papal Nuncio to the U.S. on behalf of the Prefect of the CDF has issued instructions that no cleric or faithful may participate in any meetings, conferences, or public celebrations in which the authenticity of the apparitions are taken for granted. So in following those instructions, it's important to mention that this program, or Radio Maria, in covering the topic of Medjugorje, does not take this authenticity of these apparitions for granted. And we'll turn back to the Catholic Pub trivia question quickly. What famous actor, whose name whose stage name is inspired by a U.S. bishop, starred in the Medjugorje movie Gospa in the year 1995. And Teresa had called in in the middle of that interview with the correct answer, and her answer was Martin Sheen, Ramon Antonio Gerardo Estevez, who goes by the stage name Martin Sheen, is best known for his work in the film Apocalypse Now and in the television series West Wing. He was such a big fan of Bishop Fulton Sheen that he took that as his last name for his stage name. So for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today's show. We'd like to thank our guest, filmmaker Sean Bloomfield and author Artie Boyle, for joining us on today's program. This Thursday, June 26th, I'll be doing a presentation at a Legatus conference in Chicago, Illinois. More information can be found at MiracleHunter.com. And be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithmary.com. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.